welcome to What is X with your regular host, Justin E.H. Smith. This is a podcast for The Point Magazine. As regular listeners will know, on every episode, we examine some X, where the variable is filled in by a particularly difficult concept, often but not always a concept of interest to philosophers. And we discuss the concept somewhat in the manner of Socrates and his interlocutors, and eventually, by the end of the discussion, we try to determine whether we are in agreement, disagreement, or aporia. So today, my my guest is Robin Dembroff. They are assistant professor of philosophy at Yale University, and they have a forthcoming book with Oxford University Press, probably done this summer, called Real Men on Top, How Patriarchy Weaponizes Gender. So you might have already guessed what X we're talking today. The X is gender. What is gender? So welcome, Robin. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So uh, it's difficult to know how to get started, how to work our way towards a definition. Maybe one of the best ways to start is by disambiguation, right? And mm-hmm. to uh, talk about some related notions that are perhaps partially overlapping and perhaps often conflated with gender. And I think you might know the top of the list of these, it's sex, Mm -hmm. the difference between sex and gender. Many listeners will probably be familiar with the line of someone like Simone de Beauvoir, who tried to argue that there is an underlying fact about biological bodies of many animal species called sex, and then culture uh, is what permits gender to supervene over that. Now, that's been critiqued in various ways we might get into later on today, but do you think that's a good starting point? Do you think that's a viable distinction? And if not, why not? Yeah, I'm happy to start there. Um, So I actually think that the relationship between sex and gender needs to start with another disambiguation, Mm -hmm. which is a disambiguation between body parts Mm -hmm. or categories of body parts and and, and particularly reproductive body parts. Mm -hmm. And what I would call, or I would call sex, but you might want to call like social sex, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. is the categories that we use to define people and regulate people as men and as women, Mm -hmm. where the Mm -hmm. common terms for that are male and female. And the reason I think it's very important to disambiguate between those is because definitions of what it is to be male or female and therefore a man or woman have not been stable. Those change over time and they change over context. Mm -hmm. So people who have the same body across time and across context might be categorized as male in some contexts and female in others, or in many, in, in cases of intersex people, not be able to be categorized at all. And that doesn't mean that they don't have body parts, right? Mm-hmm, so once mm-hmm. we distinguish between those things, how I would understand the relationship between those three things then mm-hmm. is that gender is the social process mm-hmm. of defining and regulating bodies on the basis of their body parts or what mm-hmm. you might call biological sex. Mm-hmm. And part of that definition and regulation is defining them as male and female, which mm-hmm. is the social sex that then gives rise to these social categories on the basis of which people can be regulated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
gender is the social regulation of bodies in a way that maps onto, but only partially maps onto biological sex. It, it maps onto it in the sense that in the perception and interpretation of the physical body at, mm-hmm. at birth, usually, or now before with new technology, mm-hmm. is the thing that guides the social sex classification. Mm-hmm. That then mm-hmm. is a that is a social classification that means that you're going to have certain sets of norms and expectations placed onto you rather than another set. Right. And they kind of guide the direction of your life as a as a social being. Would there be a way, is there a conceivable way in any society for for sex to be salient in the way people are identified, but that doesn't limit their possibilities in society in any way? Um, Where by sex there, you mean something like the perception of their reproductive capacity? Or what do you mean by that? I guess, yeah, here we're already getting stuck, right? I, and maybe if I try to rewind a bit, uh, I'm getting stuck because I'm trying to respect your usages and I'm still a bit stumped by social sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've distinguished between sex, social sex, and gender. And I'm still a little bit confused about social sex, right? Because it sounds it sounds like what I would call gender. Mm, um, yeah. So the reason I I think that sex is different than gender is Mm -hmm. because, and even the social sex, social sex is different than gender, Mm -hmm. is that social sex to use, can I, can I use the language of like essence and telos? Do you want me to explain that? Absolutely. I love those. Yeah. Maybe I might want to explain them for, for other people though. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. So the essence of something is the thing that we understand to make that thing what it is. If you have the essence of a dog, you're a dog. It's mm-hmm. it's the thing that makes you a member of a category. The telos is our ideas about what the category is for or what mm-hmm. the members of the category ought to do. Mm-hmm. I think of social sex as the essence understood in the social sense. It is the social essence of mm-hmm. manhood and womanhood and masculinity and femininity as the mm-hmm. telos mm-hmm. of those people who belong to those categories. So you have maleness aiming towards masculinity and maleness is the thing that makes you a man. And similarly for female and feminists and women. So that's why I think, I think of gender as that entire process Mm -hmm. of classifying and regulating people on the basis of ideas of maleness and masculinity and femaleness and femininity of which social sex is a part, but it is not the whole. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. That makes sense to me. And I, I think I can proceed using your distinctions. Is this something that is new in your work, this usage of social sex? You know, I actually haven't used the term social sex Uh in my work. What I usually do is I just talk about body parts versus Mm -hmm. male and female or Mm -hmm. body parts versus maleness and femaleness, Mm -hmm. just to make, to make it clear that like the, the relationship between the two is not one to one, nor is it stable. Mm -hmm. There's, Mm -hmm. there's differentiation between those things. Um, But I think that the, what I am bringing to the table in a lot of my work is making these distinctions in a particularly clear way that is characteristic of analytic philosophy and also trying to do so in a way that is very much devoid of technical terms or um, kind of like shibboleths of of academia. I want to ask you something that might be a typical like bingo card question, right? Uh, In the sense that like, oh, here comes this question again. But I think it's nonetheless one that remains important for me as I think about the philosophy of gender. And that is, 
let's say, our broader phylogenetic neighborhood, right? When we look at uh, whale pods or elephant families, and we're just observing them as scientists, I think it's pretty normal to pick them out according to the distinction between male and female, and to talk about their social roles accordingly. And so one question is, are we mistaken, or is the is this story actually more complicated for, for animal ethologists than they generally realize? Or is there something about human beings that adds layers of complexity that we don't need to worry about when we're casually talking about other species as if they were just straightforwardly sexually dimorphic and their social roles flowed from that, right? Do you get this question a lot? (laughs) In in various forms, but it's a Uh great question. And it's Mm -hmm. an important question because I think it's where a lot of people get stuck. Right. A lot of people are like, there's like my dog is male or it's female, right? Like, so- yeah. So why, what are you telling me? And I, I confess, that, I get stuck here, and I and and yeah. I and I'd love to be totally. unstuck. I'd love for you to yeah. shovel shovel me out here. <laughs> I think that one really important distinction between biologists and zoologists' classification of animals and their attempts to describe their social roles and so on is that when humans do that to each other, there's normativity and enforcement. Mm -hmm. There's policing, there's Mm -hmm. retribution, there's marginalization. Mm -hmm. So these are not merely categories that are just descriptive categories of reproductive traits that we understand to correlate with certain kinds of social activity. Very far from that. These are categories that do the first thing, but for the purpose of creating a very stringent and thick and rigid set of social norms and uh, the enforcement of those norms that creates massive suffering right. for everyone, including the people it materially privileges. Be that as it may, and we can agree on that. And yet, we want to preserve the possibility of some kind of analysis of what human beings are up to that is analogous to the way we observe elephants sometimes right don't we so that for example if we're um trying to be good participant observers at a peasant wedding in uh rural uh tajikistan and we're surrounded by people who take the gender binary for granted as if it were written into the cosmic order of things. Um, we're going to want to default, aren't we, to a to language that says the males over there are doing that and the females over there are doing that, right? For the following reasons. In the same way that we talk about alloparenting uh, by, by grandmother elephants or something like that. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like, but, yeah. so, so I think, though, there's, a, there's an important difference between describing the scene from within the mm-hmm. ideology of the mm-hmm. people who are a part of that scene and describing mm-hmm. it from the outside. Because you're describing sure. from the outside, you're doing what I do, right? Like, yeah, that's right, what right, I right. am doing all the time. When I describe patriarchy, what I'm trying to describe is gender as practiced by yeah. the people who are in that 
that culture in our right. society. And right, that's very right. different than taking like a zoologist perspective. Yeah, on, sure, sure, like, sure, sure. Patterns of behavior. Sure. Um, or th- what I'm doing is similar to that, that in that sense, but that's very different than being sure. within that system and thinking that that's the, that's the reality. Would you describe your work? I think I've seen this phrase used in connection with, or perhaps also by Kate Mann as ameliorative analysis. Does that appeal to you? You're trying to analyze what categories are, but you're also kind of expecting that through this analysis, it might make some small contribution to the, to the changing of categories. So I'm going to start, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull a, a philosopher move and, and kind of back up before answering that question, because mm-hmm. I think the term amelioration and the idea of the ameliorative project has unfortunately become a politically divisive one in philosophy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when it doesn't need to be and I don't think it should be. So the thing that I would say is I think that there are certain phenomena in the world that I am particularly interested in explaining. Mm -hmm. And in particular, I'm interested in explaining the phenomenon of people being miserable because of gender. Like That's the thing that I want to explain. Um, And I think that given those purposes, that explanation can be really politically fruitful. If we can help explain Mm -hmm. why this is happening, then it helps Mm -hmm. us do something about it. And Mm -hmm. so that is the sense in which my theory is ameliorative, that it's trying to help us do something by better explaining a particular phenomena in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's Mm -hmm. not like I'm just trying to like, what, like uh, from the armchair, like just be like, well, I have this purpose. So like, what kind of concept can I hobnet like and I just like gerrymander together that seems like it would help us serve that purpose like Mm -hmm. it requires the hard work of actually detailing what the thing is you're trying to explain and how to explain it how to create helpful conceptual tools or hermeneutical tools for Mm -hmm. understanding what that thing is and why it happens Mm -hmm. and that's not different than what not only do other philosophers do but all fields that's what they do in sciences all the time right Right. like this isn't something that's unique to metaphysics much less the metaphysics of gender imagine a hundred years from now, like forget about all the really terrifying things like climate change and nuclear pl- proliferation and economic collapse and stuff like that. Just focus on gender, right? Uh, say things go your way and people are not miserable. What does the world look like exactly? You know, the, the I get asked this question a lot and I used to try to answer it. <laughs> and then I realized that the thing is that when you live in a society that is so steeped in these mm-hmm. ideas and they so deeply color our perception of other people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I log on to this call, I immediately, my brain is automatically categorizing you as a man who is in a certain mm-hmm. age range. I'm, mm-hmm. I already come to expect certain kinds of behaviors from you. See, but the bingo card. You That's words, right? <laughs> all, all these things. And, mm-hmm. and, because of that, I don't think it's possible for me to access what it would be like to mm-hmm. be in a human society yeah. that didn't have that automatic way of coloring other people. Yeah. I do know that when I talk to like 20 year olds about gender, yeah. to when I talk to like 70 year olds about gender, yeah, there's sure, yeah. so much more of a sense of freedom and Mm -hmm. the like a disinterest in policing other people's expression and things like that that i think is indicative of the direction it would go yeah right right, right, i can't imagine myself into it right but can we imagine even 
in principle, forgetting about gender, I like to sometimes think about age as a kind of parallel class, right? We uh, sniff each other out by age and and have all sorts of reactions on the basis of that all the time. And, you know, in a way, there's massive discrimination there that is so built into the way society works that we don't even think about uh, doing anything yeah. about it, right? Like, I'm too old to go to a nightclub. I'm definitely too old to go to a, a playground, you know, all sorts of things yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not allowed to do, right? Because people are sniffing it out. Um, or not. I, what, I mean, people are getting an immediate visceral reading of what my place in the world is. Now, with respect to age, all I can say is, eh, that's life. <laughs> that's how it goes. I mean, that's just the way the way I'm going to have to deal with things from here on out. I hate it. It's a drag, but yeah. that's how it is. So presumably there are reasons why we should resist in some cases just saying, ah, oh, that's life, while in other cases that's all we can do, right? What is it about what gender does to us that makes us miserable that is different from age in this regard? I So the first thing I'll say is I don't think it's different than age because I think that age is part of gender and vice versa. Yeah. Right? So like older women in particular, mm-hmm. there's lots of conversations around the way that aging as a woman is incredibly difficult in our society yeah. because it challenges the idea of what you ought to look like as a woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this kind of gets to something that's very central to my work, which is that in my view, things like gender and race and those sorts of things are like a gestalt shift for looking mm-hmm. at the same thing, which yeah. is a society's ideal of what the human ought to be mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. expectation that you ought to look like that. And we can look yeah. at that thing through the lens of gender and say like, okay, well, you're supposed to be a woman, this kind of woman or this kind of man. Mm-hmm. What do they look like? They're they're white, they're right. poor, they don't have intellectual disabilities. You can also use a different lens and say, oh, they're supposed to be white. Okay, what else are they supposed to be like? Well, they're supposed to be either like this kind of masculine, you know, so you get to the right. same picture, kind of no matter which aspect of the thing you emphasize. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that when you're talking about like age discrimination, I think that's a great place for people to, you know, if, if, if the listener hasn't thought a lot about gender discrimination, a lot of us, I think, have thought about age discrimination of only because we've had the experience of being children. Right. Yeah. yeah, And the experience of being frustrated at our own powerlessness and our inability to express ourselves and make choices for our own lives in the ways that we want to. Right. And so that's a good entry point for thinking about the way that these kinds of paradigms of what the human ought to be, which I Mm -hmm. think in our society, there are two, there's like the real man and the real woman, right? You Mm -hmm. have to be one or the other. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to be one or the other. Um, that's a great way for thinking about the way that that's going to negatively impact everyone. And, and, and I mean, everyone, because no one actually is the paradigm. Right, there's no, right. there's no one that is the real man or the real woman, right? And if only because the standards for what you have to be like in order to be that thing are not only constantly shifting, they're also contested mm-hmm. and they're also right. hugely gerrymandered. Right, right? Like, right, right, oh, right. like if you have a penis, you're not supposed to like pina coladas, what? Like, <laughs> what, how do those two things go together? Right. You know, so 
and no one's going to be this ideal. And then just everyone ends up beating themselves up all the time. Right, right, that's, right. That's what I see in so many of my talks. Uh, that's really, I, li- I really like the that the expression gerrymandered in, in, in this connection. That really does fit. But I mean, in a sense, if you, you know, here it's uh, gerrymandered sets of expectations for the human species divided into two. But yep. in fact, wherever you have a division, wherever you have a community, particular fashion or musical subculture, a particular career, you also have all sorts of weird gerrymandered expectations, like all the lines of work I could never go into because I don't want to play golf, right? Even though <laughs> I don't see the intrinsic connection between that work and golf, right? Right. Um, And so, you know, it's it's maybe uh, maybe gender is just the most general level of that kind of arbitrary conjuries of expectations. Right. Is that a fair? um, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it is the most basic one. I don't know mm -hmm. if there is. I think that there are one. So in terms of how I think about this, I think that there are features of people that correspond to patterns of systemic advantage and disadvantage and what exactly features those are are going to differ across place and time but i think reproductive features have been a very stable thing that tracks certain kinds of patterns and then once you complicate that and you start looking at those features plus melanin plus intellectual capacity then the the patterns get more complicated right you can abstract away from these very complex social patterns by focusing on different features rather than others or different combinations of them and so on. Um, so yeah. I think that that gender is very fundamental in that sense, that it does a lot of explanatory work in how people are regulated. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back for a second to the rural wedding in Tajikistan, where people are just fully into the cosmological significance of the gender divide and like they just take it hook, line and sinker. Um, Part of this is because for them, like I think for most people in most places and times, reproductive roles are important for the maintenance of society. Um, So it's hard to blame these people um, for putting reproduction front and center as a social value. And reproduction then does, in most of these, in traditional societies, have something to do with the different biologies of different members of that society, right? So To break with that is a break with the way human beings have operated up until now, right? And it's a big break, wouldn't you say? I mean, I don't think I'm advocating for that kind of break, though, Uh because what I'm advocating for a break from is the enforcing and policing Mm. of those categories according to that value. I think reproduction is valuable. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think. People having kids is great. I love kids. I have a kid. They're over there watching their iPad um, right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but what it what becomes different is when people value it in a way that causes them to enforce it 
and yeah. forced people into certain kinds of roles. And, and obviously gender is much more complicated too than being forced into a certain reproductive role. It's being forced mm-hmm. into, as the gerrymandered set, right? It's all sorts of things that are much more right. complicated. Right. And, and I want to acknowledge too, and you said like they believe the, the gender binary is, I can't remember the exact words used, but something about it being like cosmological significance. Written into the order of things, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what? I also want to say that I think that there is something that is deeply true about the yin and yang, about the balance of masculine and feminine energies. Mm -hmm. What I don't think is true is that we should expect those energies to appear into only two kinds of bodies and that all bodies are going to be one of those two kinds of bodies. And then we get to make sure that those people have to interact in certain ways and only wear Mm. certain clothes and like all these other things. One of the beautiful things for me about being non-binary is the freedom to to know that there are both of those things within me. I have the masculine energies. I have the feminine energies and I don't need to try to like push away part of myself because I've been told that and everyone is telling me that if I don't perform a certain kind of energy, then I'm failing as a human in some sort of fundamental way. Maybe this is, I want to stick to the conceptual level and not to, let's say, current trends or the discourse with a capital D. But some people have um, worried or uh, maybe pretended to worry um, that there's a if not an incoherence or at least a tension between what might be described as a sort of strategic essentialism about trans identity. So that you have lines like a woman is a woman, or sorry, a trans woman is a woman full stop, right? As if to say, there's no respect in which a trans woman differs from a cis woman. Right. Uh, uh, And or, you know, or at least the full stop is so much as to suggest you're not in a position to address those other respects. Um, But then the further layer of non-binary identity um, makes it difficult to hold on to that strategic essentialism about trans women and trans men, because, in fact, there are a whole other bunch of people who are whose very identity as expressed and as i think you've just expressed it is not definable in terms of man or woman right so how do you harmonize um the simultaneous expectation of an essentialism with respect to the womanhood of trans women and a more fluid and flexible uh, understanding of gender with respect to non-binary people. Do you see a tension? So, yeah, yeah. So let me first say, I think that that the word term strategic essentialism should be unpacked a little bit. Yeah. Because the way strategic essentialism was intended by Spivak in, right. in that work, and as it's been picked up in, in feminist work, mm. is the idea that it, this kind of goes back to us saying earlier about you having a certain political purpose that calls you to explain a certain phenomena or to create certain solidarity within a group. And then you come up with concepts that help you pick out that thing or explain that thing that helps us create that unity for doing that political work. And that's different than saying that someone has a gender essence in the sense that like Mm. it's an essence of you or it's essential to you that you are that thing. Um, So I don't think there is a tension actually between that kind of strategic essentialism as a methodological tool of mm-hmm. guiding our theory mm-hmm. and 
there being non-binary people or gender fluid people or gender queer people, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things I am allergic to fundamentalisms of every stripe. So Mm -hmm. if someone said trans women are women, full stop, I would say, no, I don't even think cis women are women, full stop. Right, I don't right, think that right, like right. you're right, like gender's so complicated. There's a sense in which there are women and men, and there's a sense in which there isn't, which is right. that fundamentally we're just humans with body parts that right, have been categorized right. in certain ways. Right. So I, I don't I don't go in for any of those kinds of like I, this is how it is. And, right. and at the end of things, I grew up in an, in a very fundamentalist, evangelical, rural right. homeschool, you know, just like uh-huh. my, my allergy to fundamentalism was, it was ingrained in me at a very young age. Right. Um, and I bring that, bring that with right. me to my philosophy. I mean, I, is, I think, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, I think one of the, the mistakes that people often made, make, and when they talk about, um, things like womanhood or manhood, and, and especially in the philosophical literature, is they think that to give an account of woman is to lay out the boundaries of that concept. It's to mm-hmm. say the if and only ifs, yeah. right? And there's a different way of thinking about it, which is that to give an account of these concepts is not to lay out its boundaries. It's to describe the phenomenon at its core. It's to right. der- derive the like thing at its center. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we think about womanhood that way, Yes, that thing at its center, the kind of like cultural paradigm of a woman is someone who has XX chromosomes and female reproductive, you know, all those mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. But then the question is when, you know, no one is exactly, no one's that ideal thing, no one's the thing in the, in the middle. And there's all sorts of people that are going to relate to that paradigm in many different ways at different mm-hmm. distances and such. And what are we going to take to be important in a context in terms of how we talk about someone and whether we consider them close enough to that paradigm to count, or like how we're going to socially organize each other. Mm-hmm. And then when people say I'm non-binary or a trans woman says I'm a woman, what they're saying is I want to be considered in the case right. of a trans woman, like I want to be considered part of that category. I'm close right. enough. I have the relevant kind of similarities to that paradigm and i think that's a shift of relevance that what that that cultural shift to being trans inclusive is in large part the shift of thinking that what's between your legs is the most relevant thing for your similarity to recognizing that because of the social uh impact of these categories because of the ways that they infect our everyday lives in all sorts of ways then maybe we should take people's own opinions about how they want to socially navigate the world more right. into account in many right. cases right 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 certainly i mean the uh, obviously it's inevitable that when there's a question that's of tremendous philosophical interest, but also tremendously socially and politically charged, that there's going to be a wing of the social and politically engaged people who are not as patient with philosophical analysis as we might be, right? Uh, Or as those of us who are... Um, And that's um, on both sides, right? Right, That's not... Yeah, right, right, right. People right, who are yeah. driving a bus around that says there are two genders, XX and XY, like those people <laughs> right. are also not interested in the philosophical discourse. Right, 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 exactly. But no, so the, the aversion to fundamentalism uh, is um, perhaps part of your upbringing, perhaps um, just, you know, the, the, the métier that you found yourself in. I grew up with liberal kind of wishy-washy parents who said, believe whatever you want. And I also have this aversion to fundamentalism. <laughs> um, okay, so trying to rewind a bit and trying to get close to 
a definition of gender, which is our uh, objective <laughs> today. Um, I've been interested, having studied linguistics years ago, uh, in the category of grammatical gender or, the, no, or the, the way that this works. And I recall working with a linguist who was remarking on certain languages that have not just three genders, masculine, feminine, and neuter, but you know, as many as eight or nine or 10. And some of them are, you know, for vertical objects, some for horizontal objects, some for, you know, living things, some for, you know, luminescent things, you know, and all sorts of kind of basic semantic categories. Um, uh, 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 and that, you know, in the history of some languages, these get gradually co collapsed into the neuter. Now, ordinarily, we don't think that the philosophy of gender has anything to do with grammatical gender as, as it interests linguists. But I've always kind of wondered, especially when you see the proliferation of, and I don't know how you feel about these sub-sub-subcultures, the ones that are kind of I don't know how else to put it, inventing genders like, you know, the famous cases that people love to mock from Tumblr circa 2013, like frost gender and so on, you know, that looks mockable. But if you think about, um, you know, the the long history of the way people in different linguistic communities have carved things up, it might be a way of recovering a scheme of looking at our place in the world that's actually much more fine-grained and gives us many more different choices. Like I'm gonna join the, you know, the 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 tree gender, meaning I'm going to join the the category of being of of social beings that affiliate under the notion of tree because i identify with trees do you find all of that just too messy or too going too far or do you suspect like i do that it's actually tapping into something that is um deep seated in the way we carve up the world so I certainly think there's a deep connection between language and ontology mm -hmm. and the words that we use and how it is a guide to how we categorize and regulate things in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I've, you know, I think one of the questions that arise with respect to gender about that is, do we go the direction of languages for, for English speakers? Do we go mm -hmm. the direction of languages like Finnish mm -hmm. that have no grammatical gender mm -hmm. or do we go the direction of the languages that have a ton of them? Mm -hmm. Right, like you're saying, like eight, nine, ten, and and I don't have, you know, I'm very open to persuasion in a different direction. But my mm -hmm. current thinking on this is going the direction of none, and that is because grammatical gender is something that isn't just words to refer to something, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just like having more nouns or mm -hmm. more like ways for people to describe themselves. It's built into the language in a way that makes it very difficult to do anything other than make a snap judgment about the thing you're talking about and then refer to them that way. Right. It's very rare that you get to talk to someone about how they identify before you call them he or she, right? You right, just like yeah. look at people and make a snap judgment. And so for that reason, I think 
it would be very hard to create more categories that had the thing that you're talking about, which mm. is the ability to like move between them, to not right. be socially like compressed into one of right. them. And right. so I think, for example, I think it would be worse if English had pronouns that included encoded both race and gender, right. both like black and white and man and, you know, however you want to talk about right. things, right. Then, then if English had neither, right? So right. That's, that's my right. own leaning. But, right. I, but I agree with you that there is something very interesting at the edges of gender play, which I think is a different question than the grammatical gender mm-hmm. per se, which mm-hmm. is just people coming up with new words, new nouns, mm-hmm. new adjectives, mm-hmm. things like that, to talk about different modes of playing with these cultural nor- these cultural ideals and norms of, mm-hmm. of masculinity mm-hmm. and femininity and mm-hmm. so on. And you think that's what's happening in, I guess, mostly these young internet subcultures where they're in- inventing uh, categories that probably won't have a very long life, um, but that it's a kind of a kind of playfulness that is serving perhaps a more important purpose in their development anyway, right? Yeah, I think the analogy here to thinking about like theater is helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm married to an actor, so I often go to examples like this, which I find helpful. So, like, mm-hmm. if you're doing improv with someone, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you're creating a world together, mm-hmm. you might create a category on the spot for just a certain kind of thing. And you're, you're doing improv together, right? So you're like being social, you're collaborating. And so the other person takes that up too. And they're like, great, this category is now part of our world. Mm-hmm. And you can keep doing that. And you're doing, when you're doing improv with someone and get things, make things more, put in more and more objects in place and have more and more categories and more and more rules of your world and so mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think what people often don't, pause to think about or don't realize is that that is what we are doing in a very massive scale all right. the time right yeah. just because you can create a microcosm of it on a on a theater stage doesn't mean that all the world's a stage right like that is right. what we're doing and so one of the things that i think is really really important about that particular kind of play mm-hmm, is it's mm-hmm. it's leaning back into that idea of like we're co-creating things we're co-creating yeah. our society and we can we can make up categories and use them together and then maybe we'll decide we don't want them anymore but that doesn't mean they weren't real right mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. We're, we're doing this thing together we're coordinating we're right. interacting we're creating relationships all that's real this i mean this actually brings us to something that i i assumed would come up one way or another which is the broad field of when you know when i was in grad school in the 1990s went under the name of performance studies and judith butler was a guiding light but also earlier sociology people like irving goffman and the presentation of self in everyday life and you know the idea that gender is performance um but you seem to be keen on picking that line of thinking back up. Whereas my impression has been, again, and I'm not an insider here, I, I, I pay as much attention as I can. My impression has been that that is becoming less and less uh, uh, attractive to many people in accounting for uh, for gender identity in the present in the present moment that Butler style performance studies is slipping away in favor of something that looks to me more like an essentialism about trans and cis identity in particular and whether this is an intended whether it's strategic, as in Spivak's sense, 
or whether people just disagree and there's a whole variety of views out there, I'm, I'm just really not sure. But am I wrong in perceiving a shift from, perform- from the performance theory to essentialism as we move over the past, say, 20 years? Yeah, so this is, is actually a much more complicated question than, than I think maybe you realize. Probably. So, I think, um, so the first thing to say is that uh, this kind of identity essentialism, the sort of like, I have some sort of like, it's, it's my brain chemistry that makes me a woman or something like that. Mm -hmm. That is something that you'll find in popular spheres. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's things that you'll find in things like New York times articles that Mm -hmm. interview endocrinologists about what Mm -hmm. gender is. Mm -hmm. It is not something that you will find in trans theory or queer theory, Mm -hmm. including, uh, including stuff that's being published right now. Right. Like, um, Talia May Betcher from philosophy talks mm-hmm. about trans identity in terms of like existential identity, in terms mm-hmm. of like the yeah. life plans you want to make. Like you have people like Butler talking about it in terms of performance. You have like all these other ways of, of mm-hmm. thinking about trans identity that is deeply relational. It's almost, mm-hmm. it's just like across the board, people understand it as a relational and a culturally specific thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that, I think that impression that there's this essentialism is one that is mostly coming from people who aren't talking to the people who are actually doing the academic scholarly work of thinking about this hard. Would you agree that it's also coming from some trans people themselves who are exploring new ways to account for their identity and are encountering other people who express it in essentialist terms, say in social media, for example, not, you know, again, not to fault them, but just, you know, grasping for language to account for this, they don't necessarily immediately jump right to the, 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 the sophisticated language of academic theorists. Of, of course not, but mm. also neither do the cis people around them, right? right? Yeah, like yeah. The, 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 when, when you're at the margins of the these gender categories, mm-hmm. one thing that all of us experience is the constant demand for justification from people yeah. around us. The what yeah. are you? Tell me what you are. Right, and right, you right. know what you are, but the language that you have to talk to them about what you are is a language that was not created to talk about people like right, you. Right, the right, language right. that was created to talk about people like them. Yeah. And so what you do is you're just like, I don't, I just know. I just know that I am this thing. Yeah. And you use whatever language like is trying to get you to the self-actualization or the ways of being that that you can get to given yeah. who you're talking to in the moment that you're talking to them, right? right so there's right, also right. just a sort of like pragmatism too that that kicks in for a lot of us where it's like, yeah, you know, it, it's actually more often non-trans people than trans people who are the ones who are not ready to go into the more complex conversation right, about right, gender. Right, surprise, right, surprise. Right. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm simply mistaken in my perception of a shift towards or a hardening into essentialism, at least when we consider academic trends. Yes, yes. In like <laughs> okay. trends and queer theory, that's not that's not the thing. Yeah. Okay. Is there anyone who sounds that way? Are there degrees? Is there a more and a less? Or you is know, it- I'm just gonna I'm gonna level with you and say that I think that the idea that the per, the perception mm-hmm. that trans people are the ones who have this deeply essentialist mm-hmm. fundamentalist hardline view about gender is a mm-hmm. projection from an abusive a society that they mm-hmm. that itself has that right interesting the yeah. patriarchal society is the thing that has an essentialist hardline right. black and white 
view of gender. Mm-hmm. And that is being projected onto us mm-hmm. as a way of excusing us from the, or of kicking us out of the dialogue and mm-hmm. undermining our political movements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I guess if you can help me here, the jolt that some of us who thought we were card-carrying social constructionists 20 years ago, the jolt that some of us have felt thinking that um, we kind of thought we had it figured out (laughs) that, of course, gender categories are relational and are produced by ideology and by what we expect of one another, and those expectations can change and so on and so on. Now, it really does. And again, it might just be that this is something that's in the culture that needs to be distinguished from what academic theorists are providing, but it really does seem like we've been left behind by a new expectation that we take that we take categories absolutely seriously. Again, that we respect the demand for a full stop. I really appreciate what you're saying, but I also think that there is something in the culture or the the message is not getting across from the academic theorists, from the queer theorists, to the people who are shaping the discourse, broadly speaking. And I'd never really considered before that this is a kind of reaction or an obstacle by people who strongly, you know, identify with the gender binary, but that could be right. I mean, the term gender ideology is mm-hmm. from the Vatican in response mm-hmm. to feminist and LGBT global right, yeah. political movements. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like yeah. that. that is projection at its finest. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really. What are the, the most exciting developments in your view in the past five years in uh, gender theory and queer theory? Past five years, like, so we get the freshest stuff. Wow. What's even, I mean, COVID makes time. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, when was five years ago? Okay. So it was 2016. Yeah. I mean, there's been really incredible work being done by trans scholars on uh, the relationship between intersex variations Mm. and um, trans identity. Um, check out the work of Julian Jill Peterson. There's oh, yeah. a really good book, a new book by Leah Devon called The Shape of Sex, which is about non-binary, the, the, the like image of the non-binary from biblical times to I think like the medieval period or the early mm-hmm. Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really fascinating book. I love that book. Um, mm-hmm. There's super cool stuff being done on the relationship between race and gender. So I don't know mm-hmm. if this is exactly in the last five years ago, but mm-hmm. see Raleigh Snorton's Black on Both Sides. Oh, right. Um, and also mm-hmm. Jill Peterson's book also goes into a lot of those um, racial relationships as well. So I think really at the intersection of um, at, the, at the intersection of discussing gender and intersectionality, right? So like there's mm-hmm. all this new research that's being done with people who are now taking up the intersectional lens on gender and mm-hmm. saying like, okay, so now let's, let's look at how are gender and disability intertwined, how are mm-hmm. race and, dis- and gender just dis- intertwined or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of new cool work coming out in those areas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is uh, your work bringing to the discussion that's new, the weaponization of gender by patriarchy? I think it's doing something that 
philosophers actually do very well, which mm-hmm. is taking a lot of information from all over the place and mm-hmm. being able to create a general framework for uh, putting all of that stuff in 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 place, kind of understanding how it all goes together and the system it creates. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm going to pause for a sec. Go ahead, go ahead. Hello. Say hi. Hey, kiddo. <laughs> they can't hear you because I have headphones in. All right. Do you need something? Okay. Okay. I have. I have to. I have. A, I have to say a little bit more. Okay. So I'll be done soon. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> a moment of podcast beauty, right there. <laughs> um, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, um, so, oh, what my work adds to it. So, yeah. I, yeah. So, let me start over. Um, I think that something that analytic philosophers do really well is provide general frameworks for taking lots of different pieces of information and seeing how it creates an explanatory system. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I am doing is I'm coming in and I'm like, okay, so we have from materialist feminism, a focus on gender as material and being a system of injustice. We have from people who are interested in gender identity pieces about gender being something that has to do with deeply felt desires and, mm-hmm. and desired ways of being and things mm-hmm. like that. We have from the people working on intersectionality that this is something that is where racial features and disability features and uh, class features, those are all relevant for thinking about those other two things. And what I'm trying to do is create a high level general framework for seeing how all of those things go together in a social system that Mm -hmm. holds people up again to these like two paradigms of what the human ought to be, which can be understood through the lens of gender Mm -hmm. as this historical process of regulating and defining people according to these paradigms. Yeah. Can you want to say a a few words about patriarchy? I mean, just from the subtitle, and I know you said that this was a, uh, some, something of a title chosen, uh, chosen by committee, but uh, the title suggests somewhat that we could have a world of gendered human types, um, but patriarchy and it would, and it would be okay. People wouldn't be miserable under it, but Unfortunately, we've got patriarchy and that ruins gender. Or am I misreading it? Could we have uh, gendered human beings who are happy with their gender if we didn't have patriarchy? So so I think I'm going to be annoying here and say that depends on how we want to understand gender. So Uh, I think there's one way of understanding gender where it's a little bit narrower. And like I was, my initial thing I said in in this interview, which was, it's the process of defining and regulating people according to their reproductive body parts, right? right? right. Um, And in that sense, I think if you get rid of patriarchy, unless that definition and regulation is like pretty minimal, right? It's Mm kind of like, you have this body part or not, and maybe that means you like should do certain kinds of checkups at the doctor and not right, others or yeah, things like yeah. then like sure you could have gender but not patriarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I but I think in a in a robust sense of that, if gender yeah. goes, then then patriarchy is gone also. But there's another broader sense of gender, which is I think something that's like the even longer historical process, mm-hmm. which is like what are the categories that will grow out of that initial kind of binary classification. So right. What are the what are the things that could expand into in the future? How could it relate to the body differently? How could autonomy be more of an integral part of it than enforced classification? And I right. think in that sense, you could have gender without patriarchy because that's a, a more it's a historical view of gender that has an even longer scope than the one that I discussed right. originally. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. One more challenging question for you, and then we'll try to see if we can we can 
wrap this up and see see how much we agree on. What do you say to a person? And this might just be more a question of strategy than you know than than your philosophical views, because uh, we all have to learn tact, right? But what do you say to a person? Say, take an elderly person, take a grandmother who insists that gender has not made her miserable, that in fact she has thrived in a world that divides us up in these ways and finds that it would be really not the sort of world she would want to live in where uh, where we would get rid of this, right? I mean, there's such a difficulty here. I mean, there's always a difficulty, isn't there, for you know people who want to change the world when they encounter people who don't want the world changed, of course. But here you're not just, it's, this doesn't look to me like a case of, say, the, the oppressed working classes rising up against the plutocrats, because this content grandmother here doesn't look to me analogous to the plutocrats. She looks to me like someone who has inhabited a form of life that that she values for reasons one shouldn't dismiss. So how do we deal yeah. with that? So I have so many thoughts, but I think a kind of an initial, maybe the simplest place to start is to say, if that's someone's experience, I believe, I, you know, if someone tells me that that's their experience, I believe them and I mm-hmm. value their preferences and their experience, mm-hmm. but I don't value it more than I value other people's right, values yeah. and experiences, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so if someone says, I want there to be this rigid binary system because it's worked really well for me, I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. okay, but a lot of other people are really suffering because yeah. of it. And I have to care about what they say too, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but another thing is that I think a lot of the times people who are the most insistent on the binary, the people who who really care about enforcing it are the people who it does make miserable, but who are invested right. in not admitting to themselves that it's made them miserable because right. they're afraid that that means they've like made bad choices or they've somehow, you know, they've 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 made they must have made so many mistakes because they made so many choices according to what they thought they ought to do as a man or a woman that to now say that they didn't need to have done that is is kind of like undermining their own story right and right. i and i see that a lot and i think people one of the things i really care about getting across in my work is that mm-hmm. you're you're never too old to stop holding yourself to these unattainable ideals that don't right. work for you Right. You no, know, you don't like age out of that. Right, 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 right. It re- it remains. Um, yeah, it doesn't change in that regard. And you can still go to the playground. Just bring a, you know, bring a couple other older people with you. You know, <laughs> if, if you have, that's the beauty of a social movement. You find a few other people who feel the same way you do, and yeah. you and you get together and you do something about it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I, I I'm trying to wrap things up here. What I find when I talk to you is as philosophers, you know, philosopher to philosopher, I, I, I see almost nothing I can point to and say, we disagree in our conceptual analysis, right? I find there's a difference of personality type, maybe, or of character or of just existential outlook, where I am resigned to a kind of 
thrownness to talk with Heidegger, you know, where like I got thrown into this world in this role. I don't know if I identify with it or not, whatever. I'll just write it out. And similarly, I got thrown into the world. I'm getting older and older. The range of things I can do is, is, is narrowing all the time. And I'd rather put my energy into other projects than fighting that thrownness, right? Um, whereas, um, whereas a, someone else, and this might include you, wants to put their energy into saying, no, the world doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> do you think that's a fair assessment? I do, but I think I will, again, make a distinction between resisting the thrownness in the social and political world and resisting the thrownness within yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that people are never too old or too tired because honestly, it's exhausting to hold yourself to gender ideals and norms. There's yeah. so many of them. They're so like, it takes right, so yeah. much brain space and yeah, so much yeah, money yeah. and so just, ugh. And, yeah, right. and you're never too old to stop judging yourself by these like ideals right, of masculinity, right, right, right. your femininity. And there's so sure. much relief, I think, that comes with that. Sure, 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 sure. And sure. and also getting a few people together, older people together and going to a playground isn't like organizing a protest. It's just doing something fun because why do right. they get to control you, you know? <laughs> right. Well listen, maybe just I'll living actually, your life. Maybe I'll actually uh, I'll actually come through on that and I'll report back to Send you. Send me a picture. <laughs> it's a hilarious idea. I mean I I had no idea we would end up talking about something like that when we started today. Listen, but I mean in general it's it's just it's it's fascinating to talk to you. I, I feel I feel like it's uh, uh, shines a big light on a lot of difficult issues. I think, I mean, it's hard to, s- <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to end like today. I feel like we're neither agreeing, disagreeing, nor are we properly apparatic because um, I feel like, again, uh, we, we, we see eye to eye on the conceptual issues, but I still feel like there's a difference there that I'm, that I'm having trouble pointing at, right? you know, or identifying, putting into words. Super interesting, super interesting, but we can call it something like a hybrid, non-binary, half agreement, (laughs) half apparatic. Um, yeah, maybe maybe the difference is just that your reach exceeds your grasp more than you're really good at Right, 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 right. Could be, could be. Listen, it's super fascinating to talk to you. And, um, and, and I hope this won't be the last time. Yeah, I hope not too. Thank you so much for inviting me to this. Once again, uh, you've been listening to What is X uh, with Justin E.H. Smith. And I've been talking to uh, Robin Dembroff about gender and what it is. And I hope you will join us here again soon. Bye-bye.